Amen. What a week. Before I begin, uh, Brother Dan, Dan just told me about there was a shooting in Orlando, was it last night? And several people were killed. And so, I don't know, I just, that just hit me real hard. Um, and so, I'm just going to offer up a prayer uh, for them and for any of you who have experienced loss this week or hurt or pain this week. I just I feel that to pray for you. Uh, pray for me. Pray for um, the, the family of my mentor, my father in the gospel who led me to Christ, uh, James Giles. Um, he passed away this week, and uh, so it was a heavy loss. So y'all pray for, pray for that family as well. I'm just going to pray. Holy and gracious Father God, we thank you for who you are, God. We thank you that you're even moving already in this service with words of worship, words of adoration towards you. God, made this service and this gathering today and the words that we share together in adoration to you and the words of blessing to each other. God, may they honor you, God. God, we lift up all those folks down in Orlando God, who were violently killed or injured, severely injured in that place. God, we lift up that city to you. God, we pray for healing, God. God, I pray for our country right now. I pray for that city and our country. Many people are consumed by fear of the other. They're consumed by hatred and fear of those who live differently than they do. God, I pray, oh God, that love would fill our hearts. No matter where we stand in relation to a particular issue, God, or a particular lifestyle or a particular way of being, God, may love fill our hearts, Father. God teaches, oh God, that we can't, it's okay to disagree with folks, but you can still love them. But God, we just pray for a filling of love, especially through your body throughout this country. God, we lift up everyone in this room. And those connected to them that have experienced loss and pain and hurt this week, we pray for healing and peace. God, I lift up James Giles' family to you, his wife Shelly, Langston, Stephen, Cedric. God, we pray that you give them comfort in this time of grief. And God, I lift up the word to you this morning, God, as we finish up this series about when things fall apart. God, we pray that you have instructed us only in the way that you can by your Holy Spirit. Lead us today as we dig deeper into what it means to love even when people let us down. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Praise the Lord. Am I good? Okay. All right. So we're going to start with our prayer uh, this morning. Y'all know how we've been starting this out, this powerful prayer that we find in recovery uh, communities, 12-step process, 12-step communities like uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and many other anonymous groups. Uh, But it's a powerful prayer, Um, but it's really about surrender to the things we cannot change. There are many things in our lives that we have no power over, that we have no capacity to change. And so we're going to start with this prayer. If y'all can pray with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, 
and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. That prayer is said by millions of people for, for decades. And so hopefully we can not just say that prayer, but uh, profoundly live into that prayer. And so we talked about for the past five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, I don't know, I forgot how many weeks we've been talking about this. And I just want to go over the five things that we cannot change. Things change and things end. Things don't always go as planned. Life is not always fair. Pain is a part of life. And today we finish with people will let you down. Amen. You agree with that statement? Amen. Have people ever let you down? People ever, has anybody ever hurt you intentionally and unintentionally? Right? Have you ever let anybody down? Amen. Right? We probably all are uh, uh, guilty of that, I'm sure. So let's jump into our passage this morning. This is going to be an interesting ride. Uh, this is going to be Luke uh, 15. And some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this story. This story is considered uh, probably one of the best-known stories in the Gospels. Some of you know about a prodigal son. And hopefully we'll get to problematize some of the story for you today, shift it up a little bit, you know, and just let the heart of the story speak to you in ways. And one of the things before I read this text, I want to say this, um, I always tell people uh, when we were having Bible lab, when we were meeting in homes, I'm praying that we get to the place where we can do it again. Um, but one of the things I would tell people is you always have to pay attention when Jesus is telling a story, right? He's not just, you know, with nothing better to do, but hey, you know, he's not saying, man, it'd be really cool if I inserted a story right here to make it sound good and digestible. But the thing about Jesus, when he tells stories or parables, as they say, really the short stories, the stories of Jesus are mm, disruptive. And the way that Jesus' stories work, once you dig into them, literally what they do is they don't hover around the surface of things. They actually break through the surface and go down deep into things. Right? As a matter of fact, I have to tell people, you know, Jesus' parables, Jesus' stories are really like the red pill uh, that we find in The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, when Morpheus uh, asked Neo, the character played by Keanu Reeves, to take the red pill or the blue pill, blue pill, life stays the same. Red pill, mm, things are going to be different. And that's how it is when you listen to the stories of Jesus. Jesus' stories literally are like a red pill. When you digest them, when you reflect upon them, when you meditate upon them, they do something to you. They go beneath the surface. Recently, I went to see... Did I go see it? Yeah, I want to go see. I'm totally looking at me, y'all. A movie. <laughs> you wouldn't have been interested, though. Alice in the Looking Glass, which is a sequel to Alice in Wonderland, the movie. There's this movie series they started back up. But uh, it's, a, it's based upon a novel that was written over a century ago by James Carroll. James Carroll? Right? Alice in Wonderland. And if you're familiar, with Alice, she has a humdrum life, this little girl, 
And what happens is she finds her way to this, she chases this rabbit, right, this white rabbit, and she goes down this hole, and she literally falls down to this rabbit hole into another whole reality, to another whole situation that's happening, and it changes her life forever. That's how it is when you read Jesus' stories. Jesus' stories are like an entrance into a rabbit hole, right? Oftentimes in our culture, unfortunately, church culture, we present scripture, we present the, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus and um, uh, the stories of Jesus, the, 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 the ways of Jesus, the, the work of Jesus. We present it in this kind of humdrum kind of stale kind of way that it's just, it's just a bunch of rules and this is the way you ought to behave yourself and these kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with good behavior. But the thing is, it's actually deeper than that. What Jesus invites us into is into a rabbit hole that if you decide to fall down into the rabbit hole, your life will never be the same again. Jesus had a word for it. He called it repentance. It meant more than just feeling sorry for all the bad things that you did. It means that my life has been changed. My life has been interrupted and disrupted by the God of the Bible, by Jesus, and I've fallen down the rabbit hole, and my life has changed. Even if I tried to go back where I was, it's still going to be odd. People talk about, you, you can't never go back. Well, you can go back, actually, but it's going to be different. Why? Because you've been going down the rabbit hole. You done took the red pill of the gospel. So you can go back, but it's going to be odd. And so uh, that's how Jesus' stories work. So when we jump into this story this morning, I hope that it messes you up. I hope that it problematizes you. I hope that it makes your current life a problem to continue to live, especially as it relates to people that have hurt you. Mm, yeah, I know. I felt the same way too. I like being a, I like having them as the bad guy. I like the idea that I might get to retaliate. I like the idea that not that they hurt me, but I got something over their heads. Ah, but the scriptures teach us, Jesus teaches us, this is actually the ways of the world. So let's jump into this story. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in, what whole, in that whole country, and he began to be in great need. And he went and hired himself out to a certain a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Amen. I'm going to stop there, but we'll come back to this passage. 
Y'all familiar with this story, I'm sure, at least at vacation Bible schools, Sunday school, something, right? You've heard this story before, right? Y'all familiar with this story? The prodigal son? I mean, songs have been written about it, secular, sacred songs. I mean, everybody didn't t- touch this song. I mean, this story. But the thing is, is that people think when they say somebody has been lost, they tend to think, oh, they, they're a prodigal son. They didn't got lost. Actually, prodigal does not mean lost. Prodigal means to live in excess. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Prodigal doesn't mean loss. It means to live in excess. So the beginning of this story, here's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this is shocking. This is one of the things about Jesus' story that is shocking to us in 21st century North American society. These stories don't shock as much as they did back then. So that's why this morning I had to unpack this a little bit. See, when you, and some of you are familiar with this concept, if you were a person who owned land, you had a living will, when do the children get the stuff? When you dead. Right? I hope everybody here has a living will of some kind. Please, if you don't, go do it because I'm dealing with a situation right now with somebody. So make sure you do that. The son was basically saying, Dad, I wish you would hurry up and die because I want my stuff. <laughs> That's what's going on in that. Man, what's this do with this go? So I can get my stuff. Matter of fact, let's get my stuff now. And basically in that culture, when you did that, which would have been outrageous, which probably would have never been done, you're basically saying, I, I just want to be dead to you. Basically saying, his son was telling his father, I wish you were dead to me so I can get my stuff. And so... His father, which is obviously an extraordinary individual, so he divided his property, verse 12, in between them, between the two sons, because he had two sons. Not longer after that, the youngest son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That's one of the things that's interesting about people that hurt us, or if you hurt other people, People that hurt you, they already live in a distant land before they leave you. (laughs) They're already distant from you. As they say, you know, here people talk about relationships. They checked out before they left. Somewhere down the line, this son checked out, or if he ever was there, he never had a deeper connection with his father. Maybe he had at some point but somehow it got lost. So he decided to act out what was already in him. He went to a distant land because he was already distant. He already considered himself dead to his father. And so in this distant land, he spent everything there was. And the thing is interesting, verse 14, uh, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Man. So he goes off with his money, 
Now, the thing is, is, is this younger son obviously has some issues. Obviously, he's very self-centered. Obviously, he's very selfish to the point that he just wishes his father dead. And his father, out of great generosity, does what? He gives him what he wants. And that's what I believe about God sometimes. I believe God allows us to have what we really want. And sometimes as parents, you know, I'm a parent, got a group of kids. And sometimes you got to let them have what they want sometimes. Because you know what they want ain't going to last. It's not sustainable. And sometimes they, if they're just, you know, I got to have this, it's like, okay. They're going to fall and slip and bump their head. <laughs> you can have this. Go ahead. Now, sometimes we just can't do, right? I mean, whatever it is, you know, your situation. Right. But isn't it like God, even with some of us, God's like, you know, hey, okay, you want that? Here, take it and run with it. See how far it takes you. But here's the thing, when we take things that aren't necessarily good for us, when we run with things that are not necessarily good for us, when we run with them, sometimes, oftentimes, we actually end up in a famine. And this is what this young man does, verse 14. And he has spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went to that place in distant land and is not sustainable. He goes to another country and it does not last long. And so what happens, y'all? So he ends up in a desperate place. He ends up in a famine, not just uh, externally, not just what's around him, right? He ends up selling himself to a man as a servant, as a slave. And then he ends up fighting for food with pigs. This is low. Sometimes you got to allow folks to eat with the pigs. We want to save them before it's too, too early. Notice the father didn't break out a banquet when his, first, when his son first betrayed him, when he first hurt him. He said, okay, here's everything right here. Go ahead, man. He ends up in a famine. He ends up in, in, in a land with nothing. He ends up with nothing that he has, and he ends up fighting for scraps with wild animals. And verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It got to the point that's all he longed for. If I can just get the scraps that the pigs eat. If I can just eat pig food, I'm good. But even then it says, and no one gave him anything. He couldn't even get pig scraps. Mm. Verse 17 is the beginning of the turnaround. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out 
and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. So he got up and went to his father. And this is usually the turn in the story right here. The father waiting down the road, the son who has an awakening of sorts. After he's lived in excess, is he, after he's gone out to do his own thing, he realizes that doing his own thing is unsustainable. It is not sustainable to live a life where you just do whatever you want to do without the wisdom of God, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's unsustainable. But I think the scene changes when he comes back from a distant country. He comes back to his father and it says this in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, at first glance, this looks crazy, especially in our culture where we're taught to retaliate and to dismiss people out of hand when they hurt us. But the thing that grabbed me about this scene is, is that here's a father who sees his son uh, far away off. He's literally waiting on the road uh, for him, waiting for him to show up, maybe, maybe not. But maybe every morning he got up, man, hoping that, you know what, maybe he came to his senses. Maybe he didn't. But I'll just wait right here by the side of the road for him to come. And I can just see if anybody have ever had anybody in your life, whether it's children or friends or whoever, that hurts you, that, that offended you, that really went out of their way to hurt you, whether intentionally or in some cases unintentionally, but you had somebody in your life that did damage to your soul, that hurt your feelings, that really did some dirt to you. But when the father sees the son down the road, he doesn't go back into the house. He goes running after him down the road. And the scripture says, full of compassion. He went down the road, held him, and kissed him. And see, this is a powerful gesture. What he was saying, basically that, even though what you did, you asking for your inheritance, you were basically saying, you are dead to me. I'm saying you're no longer dead to me as a son, as an heir to my house. You are alive to me. You are a part of me. You are connected to me. I know you left and did your own thing out of whatever what was going on with you. You left and did your own thing. But now you're back. And I love you. But here's the thing that people mess up. His father didn't follow him to the pigs. His father waited on the road. 
Sometimes when people hurt us, and sometimes people who are so broken, and they go out of their way to really hurt us, and there's no way to reconcile that. Sometimes of us who are so broken and hurt ourselves, we'll try to run with them all the way to the pig trough. And they ain't ready. The father did not follow him into a distant land. (laughs) The father did not follow his son, the younger son, to the pig trough. He waited way back on the road. Don't miss that. How often we want to run after and save everybody. The father couldn't embrace him until he wanted to come back. Until he wanted something different. Until he came to himself. He couldn't save him until he came to himself. The Bible says he looked up and he remembered what life was like. He remembered the connection and life that he had with his father. It was only then could he go back to his father. And his father's waiting on the side of the road waiting for him. What this father teaches us when we're dealing with people who let us down, there's something that we can learn about that. How do we face people that hurt us like this? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of them tender souls. I don't take criticism very well but I'm learning how to embrace it as a leader. Because if you're a leader in any kind of capacity and you can't take criticism or feedback, you need to go back to mama or daddy. Because you can't become more of who you are without feedback. And so, how do we face people that let us down to hurt that hurt us One of the things we see with this father in scripture is that he has a tough skin but a tender heart. Right? God does not want us to be without tough skin because we're going to encounter all kind of folk that try to hurt us intentionally or otherwise. But God also wants us to cultivate and and retain a tender heart towards people. And by tough skin, I also mean by setting boundaries with people that have hurt us. If people have over and over again hurt you, it is only, hey, come on in. Here's a knife. Stab me right there. No, 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 no. You still can have compassion for them. And you can allow them a certain distance based upon where they're at. If they seem like they got an aha moment, not just by their words, but by their lives, their lives match with their words, you give them some maybe a, close, a little closer, more distance, maybe. Depends on how egregious the act was. I see so many people who have no boundaries with people. And they think they're doing them a favor. They're actually hurting them and themselves. I don't be like the father. Tough skin, tender heart, waiting on the road <laughs> for you to get a clue. But how do we face people that have hurt us 
And sometimes this is some of the ways that we respond. Let me know, or you don't have to let me know, if this is the ways that you've responded. This is from the writer, uh, David Rico. He says, there's the face. How do we face people? Facing the people who let us down. He says, is an acronym here, face. F means fear. He says, I am afraid that I will survive. I will not survive if everyone does not love me. You hear this, in, you hear this in, you know, the classic movies, and sometimes you hear this with jealous lovers says, if, if, no, if I can't have you, nobody can. It's this kind of thing, right? I am afraid that I will not survive if everyone does not love me, and this is how I am a source of my own suffering. If, you that, if you're in a place like that and you are really afraid to live again, if you feel like you can't survive without everybody's approval, without everybody's love, then you are in a sad place, and I'm praying for you. And I think everybody encounters this at some level. Face A, attachment, Rico says, I am attached to a very specific version of what I am owed. And this is how I am a source of my own suffering. And what does that mean? That means that uh, everybody owes me something, right? I'm the kind of person that everybody owes me something. And when you don't pay me back or if you don't give what I need, then my world crumbles and I will hate you. I will retaliate against you. I will push you back because everybody owes me something. Attachment. See control. I need to control others' reaction to me. And this is how I am a source of suffering for myself. One of the great spiritual disciplines that go all the way back in the Christian tradition to the monastic faith, to the monks and the African desert fathers in the second and third century is the spiritual discipline of not trying to control how other people see you. Why? Because how God sees you is all you need. Because trust me, there are a lot of folks that won't like you. <laughs> they will outright hate you. And sometimes you have no, there's no reason. Like you don't even understand. But so give up the control others' reaction to me. And some people are good at it, better at this than others. Right? And then E, entitlement. I believe I am entitled to love and loyalty from everyone <laughs> and insist on it. And this is how I am a source of my own suffering. You cause your own suffering when you demand loyalty and love from everyone because the reality is the suffering comes in when you expect everybody to love you and be loyal to what you, who you are. But the reality is, everybody's not going to be loyal all the time. The reality is, everybody's not going to love you all the time. And how do you accept that? How do you live with that? Tough skin, tender heart. But there's an affirmation here. I continue with Rico. He says, 
if you can make this affirmation, if you could say this in some kind of way, this, this idea, I would, he says this, and I thought it was powerful. I am letting go of fear by showing more love and finding excitement in life's challenges. St. Francis of Assisi, a prayer that we've put up here before, he says, I will seek to love rather than just be loved. Right? So, so fear, one of the ways that you let go of fear is no longer expecting everybody to love you, but even in light of that, even when people are disloyal to you, even when people do not love you, guess what? You show more love. That's the adult way of handling. That is spiritual maturity. That is more deeper and more powerful than how many Bible verses you know. I know people that know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they don't have to let go of fear. You show more love. Next one. I am letting go of attachment to my version of how others should act, and I accept the giving of life that not everyone will be loving, truthful, honest, caring, or loyal to me all the time. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I told y'all, I know it's kind of somber right now, but I told y'all this series is real. I mean, I am letting go of control and let others love or dislike me as they choose. Man, that's a hard one for me. Because I want to be liked. I want everybody to like me. But one of the things I've learned, everybody ain't going to like you. And that's okay. If it's my friends and those who have been with me, they walk through my bad and my good, and they come to me and they say, man, you tripping? I got to listen to that. But there's going to be some folk that, that choose to walk out of your life, and that's fine. One of the things I've learned about love is this. One of the definitions of love, love is the ability to have compassion and love for people even while they reject you. We're taught to withhold love when that happens. I'm letting go of my insistence that I be loved and respected by everyone. I will choose to focus instead on being loving and respectful toward everyone I meet. Now, that's a hard one. I tell my daughter, Jasmine, the other day, it's sort of like a, coming back to the surface a little bit. Um, you know, she works at a fast food establishment. And uh, we, had, we had went somewhere else, another fast food joint. And I pull up to the drive-thru. And the person, this was not Chick-fil-A, by the way, right? Chick-fil-A, they, they just, man, I don't know. They, I, mean, I think they read this story every day at Chick-fil-A or something. Because you just get treated like a human being there. I don't, it's weird. Maybe you had a bad Chick-fil-A experience. I haven't had one, but. And I'm not saying this because Dustin's over there, but. So we pulled up, man, to this, I won't say the name of the place. And this young lady, bless her heart. I, she just ran all her words together. And she literally was like, I, she didn't give up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I felt bad. You know how you get in a situation, you know you're dealing with somebody that might be a little hard edge or something like that. And you don't want to ask them to repeat themselves because you're afraid they might do something crazy with your food or something. You know, you're just like, oh. I'm just going to roll with this. 
we'll, we'll figure it out the window when I get there. And so when we drove up, so this young lady, has, she had an attitude, man. She was, and I looked at her and said, are you okay? Are you all right? And she said, no, I'm not. My back hurt. They got me working all these hours for minimum wage. I can't find somebody to watch my kids. I'm struggling right now. I'm going through this and that and whatever. And it turned into a pastoral counseling session right there to drive through window. But people hurt uh, for different reasons. And so a part of, this is why uh, uh, learning how to be like the father here, this, this human father, learning how to walk in love and compassion is so important. That's why I choose, and I'm learning how to choose. I'm not good at this always, and, and uh, you know, uh, and respectful doesn't mean you have to agree with everything a person is doing. That's a very uh, gracious and honorable and respectful way to deal with people that are hurtful and angry and attitudinal. That's a word, attitudinal. There's a way. This is what matters to me now. There's an old Zen saying that says, this is the case. How do I proceed with life? And see, this is a mature question when you're dealing with people that have hurt you, when you're dealing with folks that have let you down. See, the mature person says, man, this has happened in my life. Now the question is, how am I going to proceed with life from here on out? The less an adult, the less the mature position is, this is the case. This is what's happened. They've let me down. They've hurt me. Now who's at fault? And why is this happening to me? And I get it. A lot of people in that second place I just described. It's because we have our own hurt, our own betrayals. So in a world where we respond to any of these ways that people have let us down, we can either respond like the human father who responds with compassion, or we can respond like the brother who says this. When the son approaches, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, working, doing his duty. Dutiful son. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours, not even, he doesn't even say my brother. He says, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he says this brother, not my son, but this brother of yours, notice the change, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One of the things that as Christians that you will be tempted to be and do in this culture is to be like the older brother. To hold people at their fault. To hold people at the sin that they do against you. The thing I always found intriguing about this is that he was a dutiful son. He obeyed the laws. He was a good kid. But compassion was missing. You can do Christianity. You can do faith in God. You can do Jesus. You can be church or do church and lack the key essential component to any of this. And that is compassion from those who have let you down. The thing I love about this, y'all, is that the father... Even to his oldest son, he has compassion. Even when he goes out. And it says something about God. Even those of us who are in the house of God who are committed to Christian faith or to church or whatever, God will even be gracious towards us. Isn't that something? Even in our churchiness, even in our religious attitudes, God will even be gracious towards us. But notice He's even more gracious or just powerfully gracious in abundance toward those who turn and go to distant lands. This is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. And one of the things that blows me away about this earthly father is that his love, because he's a human being, it can only go so far. Even his father who kills the fatted calf, who throws a party. And speaking of parties, you know, would you go to the party of someone who hurt you? If you got an invitation to go to the party and honor somebody that hurt you and did all kind of dirt, would you go? I'm not answering that for you. That's something for you to wrestle with. Right? I'm not saying it in a shaming kind of way. Because some of you, if you're honest, you say, nah, probably not. That's somebody right now, top of my head, he said, we want you to come and party and honor this person. I'll be like, hey, Tony, put it in the trash. Put it in the shredder. <laughs> Hopefully the Holy Spirit will convict me. Hopefully. I mean, you just hope. But it says something about the grace of God. You hear people say this all the time, and I thought about this as I was finishing up. This, this sermon this morning is this. You hear people say in our culture, they fell from grace. And here's the thing I want to tell you is that as human beings, the only way that you can fall, fall, fall off grace or fall away from grace is when you're dealing with human beings. They fell from grace. But here's the thing that I think is a deeper truth that's in a prodigal son's story is this. 
When it comes to God, we never fall from grace. See, the human father was, even as a human being, he was full of compassion that he would, he, he would love his son. When he would come back, he waited for him at the road, and he, and he killed the fatted calf, and he had a party, a block party, with all the servants and everybody in the crib. They had a party in honor of his son because he was now back. He was alive, and he was reconnected to his father. But here's the thing. Grace will only allow him as a human being to just meet him at the road. But what you don't see in the story is how the grace of God was with his son even when he betrayed his father, even when he got his inheritance, even when he went to a distant country. God's grace met him and followed him and tracked him down even in a distant land. Grace of God, God was with him as his father even when he was eating pig food. As humans, we can only go so far with people. But God can go places that we can't even go with people. This man was in the low, in the lowest of the low. Some of you may be in a low place, and people have tried to reach you, and they have failed. But I'm here to tell you this morning that even if you're in a low place right now, even if you're on the low, low spiritually, even if you have a religious persona this morning, you play in church, and that's okay. But I'm here to let you know that some of us may not ever be able to reach you. But God is with you. I'm here to let you know this. Even in the pig trough that you're eating from right now, God is is with you. The grace of God chases you everywhere you go in the lowest of places, in the dirtiest of places, in the places that we can't even use English language in a church service. We can't even say where you go. God is even with you there. God will follow you into the famine. God will be with you in the famine. Some of you are in a dry place. You have not yet had that realization as the younger son did yet. And that's the thing I love about God's grace. God's grace does not really depend upon our response to God's grace. God's grace is ever present even when we don't even respond to it. This is the powerful thing about God. Human beings, we're waiting for the proper response, right? We ain't going to engage until we see something like, okay, I, I can deal with them, right? But see, God ain't like that. God is like, I'm with you even in your mess. Even if you hate me, God says, I'll be with you. Even if you dislike me, even if I don't, you can't stand God's own people, God says, I'll be with you. Even if you hate the word of God, God will be with you. There's people right now in your life you're trying to reach. God is with them. God is in the pig trough with them. God is in their famine. God is in that distant land.
Amen. Father God, we thank you right now for your people. God, we thank you. We just lift them up to you. God, your word encourages us to love without abandon. God, may we have tough skin and tender hearts. God, may we have the patience and grace and wisdom to wait on the road. God, teach us how to have compassion and feel the pain of other people. And even those, oh God, that we can't reach, they seem not to turn around. God, first have grace upon us and mercy upon us for our own things before we even look at other folks. But God, even then, remind us that your grace is with them wherever they are. May you remind us of this deeply and powerfully this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.